and get started this morning. I'm uh, starting a few minutes late, so uh, I'll try to catch up. <laughs> see if that how well that works. See how well that works. If you would open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3:10, 2 Timothy 3:10, and we're going to continue our study of the Christian life in the last days. We've been looking at the uh, prophecy, the revelation that goes along with it. And at this point in our study, we're looking at the rebellion that is indicative of the last days. There's some interesting things about the word salvation and deliver you from the wrath to come and various things like that. And so we're going to get some, um, get a little better understanding, hopefully, before we get through this, uh, before we get through this study. But we've been looking at what uh, Paul has advised young Timothy. And 2 Timothy 3.10 has got six things in it. 3.11 has got two more things in it that are uh, ways to combat and ways to deal with what's going on in the last days. The 20 things that were listed in verse 1 to 5, holding to the form of godliness, the facades that are put up by the world and by Christians that are just kind of Christians in name only. I guess you'd call those, what, see... Chinos, see Christians in name only. Instead of rhinos, you know everybody knows what a rhino is. So uh, <clears throat> the um, anyway, there are people that are saved by grace through faith, but they just are not following the walk. They're not they're not walking it, and they're in a lot of cases not even talking it anymore. So this is how do we combat it? What do we do? How do we look to our own life and say how do I live a life honoring to the Lord? in this time frame that we find ourselves in. So, before we begin, let's start with just a word of silent prayer. Get ourselves ready to look into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your blessings, for your test. We thank you for your opportunities. Father, we thank you for your Word. Your word that feeds us and prepares us to understand uh, the time frame in which we're living and how to go about living it in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you. So, Father, we pray that although these principles are valid for all of the church age, we know they're especially valid for this particular time in history. So, Father, I pray that we be able to remember them and that we be able to recall them as we are tested by them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Christian life in the last days, we got into the summary, and we've seen the revelation, we've seen the rich, we've seen the rebellious, that's where we're at. We're going to see the rewards, then the results in Second Peter, and the reminder in the whole book of Jude. This is not on, is it? Aha! So that's just for me to see. Um, ta-da! There we are. <clears throat> that's uh, amazing that I got there that fast, because that's not been the way things have been going. Huh? I'm catching up. I'm trying to do that, but see, this thing is—it cheated and did not do what I wanted it to do. i got to go there, there, here, 
all these exciting things. That's where I want to be. Press on. <laughs> 310. That's what we're called to do. We're called to press on, first of all, with doctrine. Okay, that's one of the things that he tells us. And doctrine is not dogma. Now, dogma uh, should be, doctrine should be dogmatically applied and learned and all that. But dogma, normally the way we look at that is things that have become uh, explanations, things that have become uh, legalisms quite frequently. And people have made those to carry the same weight as doctrine. Real doctrine comes out of the scripture, not out of a systematic theology. So that's where we learn the difference. And it's we have to be careful to distinguish the difference because the things we learn from systematic theology are always under testing. Hopefully an individual is checking every time you run into a verse, well, how does this line up with this these other verses? How does this fit? Does this change anything? Does it expand to anything? Have I been wrong for all these years? I mean, that's the way that, that you have to look at and approach a system of theology. But doctrine, there are certain things that are clearly stated as doctrine. Jesus is God and always has been. He didn't become one. He was one from the very beginning. He has always been God. That's doctrine. And those are the type of things that you hang your hat on because the scripture dogmatically says that's what it, what it is. That's what the doctrine is. So we need to learn doctrine, that which is true and that which is confirmed by the scripture. Press on with that in the last days. See, if you don't, if you don't have any doctrine, you don't even know you're in the last days. Because that, that's, and then you're walking around clueless. Seems like, uh, what was that movie, Dumb and Dumber? Uh, another one, Clueless. I mean, they're walking around like they don't know what day it is or what year it is or anything else, and they don't care because they just live a day at a time. Now, how do you live in these last days with godly conduct? Now, how acceptable is that today? Well, a lot of people put up with you if you're a godly person. That's about all they do because they just as soon hang on to their ungodly life and live it any way they want to. And when oftentimes they look at you and see somebody that's got too many rules running their life. You got too many things going on. You're too many rules running your life. And I don't want any of those rules and all that. So when you're living in a society that is a lover of self, which is a narcissist to begin with, the only rules they like are the ones they make for you because they don't apply to them. So that's what they're looking for. So godly conduct. We know that because it's spelled out all through Scripture. Immorality is not godly conduct. It's just not. Lying is not godly conduct. It's not. Coveting is not godly conduct. Ninth commandment. We know that there are things that are, that are just not godly. So in the last days, when you display honor, when you display integrity, when, you are, when you're honest to a fault, whenever that happens, then that's the type of, of example that we should be. That's what we should be. Uh, somebody gives you the wrong change at the uh, oh, especially at a, uh, a fast food place. Oftentimes, since I worked at those a long, long time ago, if you're short in the cash register, guess who gets to make it up? 
Now, they came along later and said, well, you can't make employees make up shortages, but if you have shortages, you get fired if you don't. <laughs> They're not going to keep you around if you can't get the cash register to come out close to right. That's just the, w the way it is. But see, back when I was growing up, it wasn't really, see how much you can get away with. It was more like, hey, let's try not to do stuff to get away with and try to do things right. Learning how to walk in righteousness. Godly conduct is to be the last part of the last days as our example as Christians and have a godly purpose. We, have, we want to know where we're going. We want to know why we're living life. Why are we here? <clears throat> if you ask that to a secular humanist, what are they going to say? Why are we here? Oh, so I can glorify myself. Because they don't have a God to glorify. They're an atheist to begin with. But see, we as a, as a theist that believe God is here, we, uh, we're here to glorify God. That's, that's part of why we are here. So with a, we have a godly purpose to our life. We're to press on in faith. Now, if your faith is going to be tested. I know all of us, faith is tested. We... We come on, God, listen to me. I need this to happen. And we think if we just have enough faith, but sometimes the answer to those prayers is no. And we don't know why. It's just no. Or not now. Or maybe later. I don't know how many prayers that I'd prayed and given up on, and then down the road, God fulfills them. You know, and he, he says... Okay, you're ready now. You weren't grown up enough to have the keys of the car yet. Okay, but now you're ready. Here's the keys of the car. Okay, you can do this, but don't go race in Talladega. It's not a good idea. You're not trained properly for doing such things. So, but you walk in faith, and faith is all about the object. Faith is not about who I am. Faith is about the object of the faith. And always we have to keep that straight. Now, here we are in patience toward people. Have you noticed how many times that comes up, has come up over the last couple of months? Here we are in the last days, and we start looking at bottom lines, and how then shall I live? And one of the big ones is being patient towards other human beings on this planet. And this will be tested every day. Make a phone call to somebody you really need to talk to at a corporation now. And due to heavy call volume, we are experiencing longer than normal wait times. I know you've heard that. And it's so exciting. And then, would you like us to call you back? Dare you hang up? <laughs> and try to get them to call you back. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But when you have other things to do, and you're having to wait on other people, that is a patience toward people. And then sometimes when you finally get to talk to somebody, they are clueless as to what you're talking about, and you're asking them a question about their product. So there's a patience toward people. Now, that's one of, one of my big tests is the people test, and I know other people have that same test with me. They're having trouble with patience toward me. <laughs> You know it's true, Monica. <laughs> Patience toward people. And they're going to... Now that we got through the first couple of points, see, God set the standard about being patient toward people. 
Romans 2, 4. He says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Think about his patience. Because if he wasn't patient with us, we wouldn't make it past the age of five. If that long. Sometimes we wear out our parents' patience by the age of five more than one time. But God set the standard. He said, okay, I'm going to stay patient toward you. Now, our next class is when grace runs out. So you just can't keep doing that. I I know as a kid, uh, every kid does the same thing. You see that fence? You can't go beyond the fence. And don't climb on it or don't climb over it. And the first thing that I as a kid would do is go to the fence. I wanted my boundaries. I wanted to know what they were and where they were. I think the only time my grandpa ever spanked me is because he told me not to climb on a ladder. And a ladder was leaning up against the building. It was a big ladder, about six feet tall. And don't climb on the, on the ladder. Well, I got on the first rung, and it was fine. I was well balanced and had everything else. And when he came out, I was sitting on the top of it. And he was not a happy camper. <laughs> he was very upset. Why was he upset? Why did he spank me? For my benefit. That's why he did. So, yeah, he was angry. But he spanked me out of love so I wouldn't get on that ladder again. And strangely enough, for about 20, 30 years, that's the way I made my living was on a ladder. All the time, painting houses and doing stuff like that. And so, uh, but anyway... When I was like four or five, I wasn't supposed to be on the ladder. And that was simply put. Patience toward people is a fruit of the Spirit. Because as we all find out, without divine power, it's hard to be patient toward people. Without the the Holy Spirit tugging on you and saying, Be patient now whenever you respond, whenever you answer. Answer with kindness, answer with grace. Don't blow blow your top there. But be patient toward people. And this is where we left off. See, it's part of saying thank you to God for being patient with us. We are patient with other people because he's patient with us. Why do we love others? Because he first loved us. See, this is we're supposed to carry it on. We're supposed to pay it forward in the sense, not like the weird movie, but we're supposed to pay, pay it forward by building that into another generation. Now, Ephesians 4 says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, that's the worthy walk. With patience, here we are. Showing forbearance to one another in love. And being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So being patient with one another. See, it starts in the family. It starts with a husband and wife. Husband and wife get, get the patience test all the time. Okay? And especially uh, newlyweds. Uh, I've done a lot. I always do, almost always do premarital counseling before I do the, before I do the wedding. And, uh, I mean, there's things that people don't think about while they're, raptured in love before they get married and that's that once they they are living under the same roof issues like which direction the toilet paper comes off the roll is a, becomes an issue uh, what do you spend your your uh, few extra dollars on 
you know, do you spend it on guy things or girl things? What do you spend your few extra dollars on? When do you go to bed? How about leaving dirty dishes in the sink overnight? Oh, what about leaving them in the, in the drainer overnight? Uh, there's all kinds of things that we can get upset with if we are not not careful. So it's part of walking in this worthy manner. It starts in the marriage. It goes to the family. It extends to the businesses that we work at or the vocation that we have quite clearly. It extends into the local church. Being patient with one another. It's, it's amazing that even in a church people can get upset with one another. Oftentimes over the smallest events known to man. And yet they become major issues if we don't catch it and let the Spirit deal with it. Colossians 1, For this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and may be an understanding. Why? Colossians, so you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To do what? What does that mean? To please him in all respects. How do you do that? Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. You'll notice that when you get into virtues throughout scripture. Somewhere in that list usually you're going to find something about increasing in the knowledge of God. About growing in grace. Growing in doctrine. Learning to know more. Growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says strengthen with all power. According to his glorious might. For the attaining of steadfastness. That's the stability in your life. And patience toward people. What's one of the, the results of this? Why are you going to grow in grace? Grow in the knowledge of his will. Spiritual wisdom. Spiritual understanding. Part of the objective of this. So we'll learn how to be patient with people. With one another. Because if, if you're not patient with people, you, you, you probably never evangelize them. Because what got us to the point of salvation? God's patience with us. And they need to see it from somebody else. Patience has to be put on. And you put it on with the clothing of a new creation. Colossians 3, verse 12. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart. This put on is like your clothes. You get up in the morning. We know Ephesians 6. Put on the armor of God. Piece at a time. This is like putting on your clothes. Here it says put on these different pieces. Put on a heart of compassion. Compassion is when you kind of walk a mile in another person's shoes. You have an empathy for what they are going through. A heart of compassion. Kindness. Humility. See, humility just doesn't come automatically, does it? We're born with a sin nature. The sin nature is inherently arrogant. And so we got to battle that. We have to battle the flesh. Galatians 5. That's part of what we have to do. We have to go to war. Because that's what it says in Galatians 5. The, the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. That's the word polemos, polemero, that is used in there. It's war, not in opposition to one another. It's a word for war. And the inside of us is a battle going on. 
to do the works of the flesh, that's the flesh job, or the works of the spirit, which amounts to submission. Arrogance is not a work of the spirit, quite clearly. So it requires our submission, which is an act of humility to begin with, to what? To the the doctrine according to God and what he wants us to do to be pleasing in his sight. And he says, a heart of humility, gentleness, and patience. I love the word gentleness because it is power under control. Power under control. The same power that spoke and brought the heavens into existence, designed and created the flowers. That is gentleness. It's an amazing power, yet it's under complete control. And patience, there it is, bearing with one another. Part of the 26 positive one another commands you find. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love. It kind of all wraps around in that big package, doesn't it? Which is the perfect or mature bond of unity. So we have to put on this patience. It is necessary to fully receive what God has in store for you. See, isn't it amazing some of the things we're most impatient for are the things we, we, we just want the most, and they're just wants, and we get real impatient about getting those and how fast can we get this thing when we order it online? How soon can it be at our door? All that, and we get real impatient about it. Thankfully, the older I get and the more my body gets broken, the more patient I get about a lot of things that I used to not be patient about. I think it's an enforced patience that the Lord has put upon us. But why... Listen to this verse, Hebrews 6.11. We desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. That you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 6. He's just warming up in Hebrews 6 for what he's going to write about in Hebrews 11, which are the heroes of the faith. He's just getting it started. God is not so unjust as to forget the good you've done. That's Hebrews 6.10, the verse just in front, of, in front of this one. And a communicator of God's word has to be patient. And it's... Uh, James 5.10 is an example. Brethren of suffering and patience take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I know when I first started teaching, preaching 40 years ago, and you know, and I studied and I put some work into it, and you know, and I'm teaching it and I'm going after it, and somebody comes up to me after it's over and said, I just love what you taught about, da 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 da, da and I'm going, what? <laughs> I didn't teach anything about that. This is what's going on in my head. I didn't teach anything about that. Or somebody else comes up to me and they say, I was listening to Charles Stanley this morning, and he said da 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 da, and that you might uh, uh, that you might uh, uh, do something. And I and I and I thought I have been teaching that for the last three months. 
and then Charles Stanley comes up, and then I'm going, did I not teach that good at all, or what was the deal? I go back to, no, and then I find out it's patience toward people, and the principle of two or three witnesses are the ones that confirm the facts. So when we hear things that come from one person, we don't usually just jump out there and grab them unless they're confirmed by other people. And we've heard those things come from other people. So finally, part of my growth was to go, they finally got it. They got the point. It wasn't about me. It was about people understanding the principle. That's what that's what that's why we study so we can understand the principle so we can sit and talk and confirm and somebody else says something and then Charles Stanley confirms what I said or I confirm what he says that's great because people come to see that that maybe that's what what the real deal is and a communicator just has to be patient it is just part of part of the job and the next point is in love because um, we're to press on, see? Last days, why are we to press on? Why is that so important? Because it says in Matthew 24, because lawlessness is increased, tribulational passage, true, but we're in the beginning of birth pangs where it is going to start manifesting itself. Where lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So love for one another, is it grows cold. And with our negative news media of today, no matter who you tune into, uh, it's it's hard to find anybody to like, isn't it? Right? That Mary Minuet by the Kingston Trio in the 1960s, they're riding in Africa, they're starving in Spain, there's hurricanes in Florida, and Texas needs rain. You, got, you guys, I know Mike Dunn can sing it with me. The whole world is festering with unhappy souls. The French hate the Germans. The Germans hate the Poles. Italians hate Yugoslavs. South Africans hate the Dutch. And I don't like anybody very much. <laughs> that is a classic sound of the way it goes. Because we, how do we treat people? We're supposed to treat people in love. What is love? Patient, <laughs> kind, obedient. Yeah. Treat each other in love. Now, if you miss love, you miss the point. When I first came to Trinity 30 years ago, 31 years ago, whatever it was, it seemed like everything I did, not necessarily intentionally, wrapped around love and the importance of love. Now, we came, some of us came out of a group where love was viewed as a relaxed mental attitude. It's simply having a relaxed mental attitude about things, and that's what love is. And then... Um, some of us went to seminary and ended up doing word studies on it and getting our own churches, and we were checking all this stuff out that we had been taught by the mouth of two witnesses. You hear it from a professor, you study it in the book yourself, and you come to a conclusion, what's right, what's not right. And so we're, we're looking at this, and we go, love is more than a relaxed mental attitude. Okay? And then love is the filling of the Spirit. Not necessarily. What is love? Well, the Holy Spirit is God who is love. So he moves inside of you with that love. So, But when you start replacing the word love with something else other than the word love, that's where the problem comes in. And uh, we all got back together and had a, 
1986, July. I remember when it was because there's a bunch of us old seminary guys got back together and one of the topics, everybody got a half a day to uh, present their topic. There were six of us. Everybody got a half a day to do that. And one of the guys said, I want to talk about love. And I don't want to talk about filling of the Spirit. I don't want to talk about relaxed mental attitude. I want to talk about love because it's used 120 times in the New Testament and 116 of those refer to an action. Oh, shocker, shocker. Not just a relaxed mental attitude. So that's what we found out. I'm going, yeah, we need the love. Luke 11:42, because I had people in the first few years of Trinity came up and said, is all you going to talk about love? And my response was pretty simple. If we ever get it right, I'll stop and move on to another topic. Woe to you Pharisees, Luke eleven forty two. You pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb. See, this is the first time he gave a woe to you Pharisees talk before the week of the cross in Matthew 23. And you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You should have had justice and the love of... He's not saying you shouldn't tithe. Because that was the age of Israel. It was part of the law. And he said, I'm not saying you shouldn't tithe. What I'm saying is what you really need is justice and the love of God. That's what you need in your life to make it right. Because if you miss the issue of love, you just miss the point. You just miss the point. Miss the point of who God is, what God has shared with you, and what we're called to share with other people. <clears throat> Love is God's greatest evangelistic tool. John 13. Realizing this in John chapter 13, uh, he says, the Lord has just washed the disciples' feet. Okay? Because here they are, the upper room, the night before the cross. Peter and John set it up, and they didn't have anybody set up to wash feet. That was reserved for the lowest-ranking servant or the lowest servant, and they didn't have anybody. And neither one of them bothered to do it. So the Lord got up and he did it. And he showed them what love truly was about. It was about serving one another. And it was later written, through love serve one another, Galatians 5.13. So here is here he is uh, serving them, and he looks at them and he says, by this, all men you will will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for one another. Now who were those who were those guys? Uh, let's see. Three sets of brothers. Uh, fishermen. Four of them were fishermen. One was a tax collector. One of them hated Roman collaborators, Simon the Zealot. You had dreamers. You had a little bit of everything that went with that group of apostles. You had very pragmatic people like Philip that probably counted everywhere they went. He was kind of the bean counter type of guy. Philip, feed these people. Well, Lord, it'd take two years' wages to feed these people. He already had an idea how many, how many were there. And he said, feed them. What do you have? Because he was trying to show Philip and also the other guys that a little in the hands of the Lord's all you need. Okay? You don't need to put me in your accounting box. 
like you tried to do. And so he started breaking the loaves and the fishes and taught them all a great lesson. A little bit is all that, that you need. And he says, when you have love for one another because they were, they were <coughs> constantly fighting with each other. Remember that for three and a half years? Arguing over who was the greatest? They fought and they fought and they fought and they fought. Just like a big family sometimes does. And he says, if you two learn to love one another... And in fact, he said, if any two of you agree on anything, okay, and ask me, I will hear. It's kind of like if any two of you ever come to a meeting in the minds about anything and ask me, you can bet I'm going to listen, I'm going to answer it. Because it's almost impossible the way that you think. So here is, you guys love one another after all this fighting for all these years. People will know you belong to me. You're my disciples. Live in love from John 15. This is the upper room too. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How many commandments are there for the church age? Not a lot. It's over 600 in the Mosaic Law, but the Mosaic Law is set aside. So what is the commandment? It all revolves around love God and love one another. Those are where the commandments come in. A lot of times people say, well, God commanded us to have this form of church government. Uh, Show me. I can show you descriptions of church government all through the New Testament. Just the the pastor, the apostolic, the congregational. I can show you different descriptions of them, but I don't find a command anywhere. It says, do it this way. All we have is how they did it in that culture at that point of time. And so when people start saying their commands and trying to obey them accordingly, they make legalisms out of them. And people got executed over failure to have the right forms of church government back in the 12th or 13th century. Because if you had an elder form of government back then, or even talked about it, then that did not uh, pay tribute to the Pope, and it was subject to execution, which did happen to some people. It even happened during the Reformation, whenever some of the Reformers they had, a, had an elder form of government, and others were trying for another form of government. And that didn't work either. So people got all sideways on stuff that was not commanded one way or another. One of the most enlightening things to me came in a pastor's conference 1988 down in Plano, Texas. A guy named Gene Getz was uh, conducting it. Wrote some really good, wrote the one another stuff. That's where I got introduced to that. But he, he made a very important point. He said you have to find out what the commanded function is. Fulfill the commanded function. Then you develop a form to carry that out. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There needs to be a form that goes with that. He said the tendency is to start worshiping the form rather than the function. Took me three years to finally get it, but I knew what I, I knew what he meant. And it was an amazing to see the difference. What about, what, how does that apply to music? Oh, I don't see a musical score that is inspired of God recorded in Scripture. 
showing us to go from this note to this note to this note. I don't see it anywhere. What I do find is inspired lyrics found in Scripture, in the Psalms, and other places. That's what I find. And what should us what songs and hymns and spiritual songs? It's not about the form. You develop the form to carry it to the culture that you're going into so you can teach them doctrine, so you can teach them truth. So it might be really weird and wild. Uh, Christian rap, uh, I never could quite get into Christian rap. And, but is it of the devil? I'll tell you, a lot of his fortresses have been torn down by Christian rap because a lot of the words are real good and it got into kids that could hear it and understand it and it spoke to them about the truth of God's word. Winter Jam is one of those great uh, places. It goes to about 40 cities, has 10 or 12 groups that come in, the big name Christian groups, and they come in and and an uh, old buddy of mine hands me earplugs. We we used to go there quite a bit when we went in because it's so stinking loud. And he, did you bring your earplugs? No, here they are. Put them in. And so, uh, and it was indeed loud. I couldn't understand half the words they said in some of the songs. But they had over 500,000 people attend those a couple of years ago before COVID shut them down. And about 100,000 professions of faith. Isn't that amazing? Okay, talk to me about what's wrong with all of this. Because you don't like the music. I think God likes it just fine. Because somewhere along there it communicated the truth. And the truth got heard. And the Holy Spirit worked with it. And when that happened, people got added to the kingdom. Now for that, I'm going to rejoice. Even though I've got my ears closed as much as I can possibly close them and see that's form and function classic sign live in love love lets us face the test of life Uh, see how do you get patient with people learn to love them (laughs) if you don't love them you're not going to be patient with them it's amazing how much more patient oftentimes we can be with our family because we love them We can be very patient with our family. We wouldn't be as patient with somebody else. But we can be very patient with our family because love is a driving motivator. This love we have is supposed to expand. Romans 5.3, not only this, we exult in our tribulations. I guess Paul read James, didn't he? Consider it all joy when you encounter various... Then Paul says, we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance... Proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Love lets us face the test of life as we learn to love one another as we should. And here's another good one. Patience towards circumstances. Uh, This is a classic. Uh, I know... None of you speak to inanimate objects that don't work properly, uh, like computers that won't boot up properly or computers that don't work, um, lawnmowers that don't start. Those are classics, aren't they? You go out there and it's started every time except when you're in a hurry. And when you're in a hurry, you crank or 
turn the key. In one of the most sinking feelings you can have in the whole world, you get in the car and you turn the key and nothing happens. That is a sinking feeling. Because usually we wait too long and that means automatically, I'm going to be late. Patience toward circumstances. Instead of going, the Lord didn't want me to make the trip at exactly this point of time. Oh, there's a reason for that. Now, <clears throat> patience toward circumstances, also Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, are tribulations. That's the pressures we face of life. Uh, <clears throat> but perseverance plus God's word is necessary to have hope. If you want hope, you need perseverance plus the word of God. Know the, know the promises. Know what he said that he will do. Romans 15 Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Paul is writing scripture, talking about the scriptures already been written. That through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, it's a potential, hope. If you don't have the encouragement of the scriptures, how are you going to have real hope? It's just going to be wishful thinking. And you won't know anything about it coming, coming to pass. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus that with one accord and with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore accept one another just as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. Perseverance comes from having hope. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 our uh, little our verse where we get our our banners on the wall over there the marks of a uh, marks of a model church faith hope and love 1 Thessalonians 1:3 constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love look at that one how do you how do you say love is just a relaxed mental attitude if it's got labor attached to it see love takes work is what it amounts to it takes the work sometimes of being patient and not doing anything right now other than praying about it. But sometimes it, it just takes work. Kindness takes work. That's, how are you going to be, love is kind. How is he going to be kind if you don't work at it and figure out how to, how to do that? He says, labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So they're looking at him. They're looking at us. Perseverance comes from having hope. Perseverance has to be pursued. 1 Timothy 6.10. Uh, that, that verse should ring a bell. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some by longing for it, what money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many a pang. It will never be enough. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. This is Timothy. He's saying, fight this desire for the things of the world. John will say it in 1 John as clearly as it can be said. Fight the good fight of faith. And take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. How do you take hold of eternal life? 
First of all, you're not worried about where you're going to spend eternity. These things have been written to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know you have eternal life. And when you know where you're going to spend eternity, guess what? You remove the, the fear of death, which is the enemy Satan's biggest ploy. Fear of death, can, death means separation. And that means that you can get away. Sometimes people are afraid of to give the gospel because they'll, people think they're weird. That's a form of death, is it not? Because you're separating from people that need to hear it to protect you. It's a form of death. And he can use that in so many different, different ways. <clears throat> Hang on. Get the reward. Hebrews 10.35 don't throw away your confidence, the writer of Hebrews said, because it has a great reward. Confidence is not arrogance. Confidence is a persuasion, and you know what is right. You have, you have determined that God's word is correct. It is right, and you have a confidence in it. And it, it has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now what he just wrote in Hebrews 6.10, we just saw that, 10, 11, and 12, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He says, yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Well, it's been a couple of thousand years almost, hasn't it? Huh, very little while, but... It's interesting that with God a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, according to Second Peter 3. And you find out, according to Hosea 6, that he is going to send Israel into the wilderness, and he says, after two days I will bring you back. 24-hour days? I don't think so. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. It's been roughly 2,000 years since they left in 70 A.D. And they came back. Hmm. Amazing how all these little pieces fit, isn't it? When you start looking at them, they fit. Israel's back in the land, never to be sent out again. Perseverance is necessary to grow in love. From 2 Peter chapter 1, I love this list. It draws a target. In this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. See, that's one of the things that anybody can understand, an issue of morality. In your faith is the object of your faith, and because of that, then you supply moral excellence because you are orienting to that object of your faith, which is a righteous God. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, which is Philadelphos, brotherly love. And in your brotherly love, the love, literally in, in the Greek, hey, agape, closes it out, which is the love of God. When it's set next to love of one another, brotherly love, and it follows that. It's the love of God. The greatest commandment. Your target is fulfilling the greatest commandment. When he doesn't make sense. When you don't understand what he's doing. Don't know what he's up to. When he doesn't answer your prayers the way you want them. You hang on. 
that generates perseverance and perseverance generates rewards and those things we're going to have for the rest of eternity not just this life let's pray father thank you for this day once again because it is another opportunity <clears throat> for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord jesus christ it's another opportunity for us to to persevere it's another opportunity to be tested and to say no to temptation and Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for giving us a few more breaths that we might use to worship and glorify you. May we use them wisely and thus redeem the time. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.